Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Okay, um, well, yeah, so some of you know me because I was with you a lot back in the day, and uh, some of you don't know me from Adam, and that's cool because I'm really here today to talk to you about God the Father. That's what um, the sermon's about today. And basically, this is the first part of a four-part series that I've done with our church a few weeks ago, because understanding the Father heart of God is so important. Some of you grew up without dads. Some of you grew up with dads who weren't loving and kind to you like a dad should be. Some of you weren't protected by your dad like you should have been. And some of you may have lost your dads. Some of you may have had good dads, but even though they were good, they were imperfect, just like I am as a dad with my kids. And so as soon as I say the father heart of God, you've got to understand that when you hear the word father, you're going to be affected by your understanding of what a dad was like, either how your dad was or how your dad wasn't or how your mate's dad was. And so we got a big problem because God the Father is so loving and he's so kind and he's so wonderful, but we miss out because we don't truly understand what a father is like. Even if we've had a loving, caring dad, we don't quite understand. And I think that one of the reasons why Often we don't pray enough. It's because we don't get what a loving dad, God the Father, is. Because if we really got it, we'd want to sit next to him every day. So this morning, I went to have breakfast, and we don't have a table, we have a breakfast bar. I had to say that first, because if I say I was sitting at the breakfast bar, it makes me sound well posh. But you see, we, we don't have a table, all we have is a breakfast bar. And uh, my son's sitting on one side. And I just thought, because no one else was around, I'd sit on the other side because we've got a bit of space for once. And I sit down, and my son's three years old. And he goes, Daddy, can you sit next to me? I want you to sit next to me. I like it when you sit next to me. And I sat next to him. I said, Son, I like sitting next to you as well. And it was interesting that happened. I thought, I'm teaching on this today. And I thought, my son is giving a wonderful illustration there of someone who thinks their dad cares about them. They want to sit next to their daddy. They want to sit next to their daddy. And what I'm hoping today is that as we look through God's word, that we would desire to sit next to our daddy, that we would have what Romans 12 calls renewing of the mind, that even if you didn't ever have a dad in your life, that you would be able to understand what a wonderful father God is through these verses we look at today. Now, I warn you, it's not a magic trick. So it's not like at the end of today, you're necessarily going to be like, boom, boom. I was just hit with it, now I've got the Father heart of God. Because the process of sanctification don't work like that. The idea is that we've got to be daily meditating on these scriptures. And as we do, we're being changed more and more and more into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that means more and more and more we're understanding God the Father, just like Jesus Christ did. So let's pray. Father. I pray that 
you would help me to represent you accurately today. I pray you protect me from saying anything that doesn't represent you as the Father that you are. And I pray that you pour your Holy Spirit on us and that you soften our hearts, help you to help us to hear your words and to respond to them. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for the wonderful sacrifice you've made for us on the cross that enables us to have a child-father relationship with God the Father. I pray that you help us to understand this better today. Amen. Okay, so before we look at God the Father's relationship with us, first thing we're going to do is look at God the Father's relationship with Jesus the Son. Because it's much harder to straight away think about God the Father and how he relates to us. Because we have all our preconceived ideas. It's easier to look at it with another person first. So, check it out. Before the world is made, okay, there's nothing but God. Now, God is one being, he's just one being, but he's three persons. One being, three persons. Okay, now you've got God the Father, you've got God the Son, and you've got God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we call the Trinity. Now, before the world's made... These three persons are perfectly loving each other. They are perfectly loving each other. Okay, they've got, fancy word here, intra-Trinitarian love. They've got intra-Trinitarian love. Intra at school or college or at work, you might hear someone talk about the intranet. Yeah, that's the one that doesn't look as good as the internet. Yeah, because it's the one that's just within your own little college, yeah, or workplace, right? And they're always trying to persuade you to go on it. Right. Okay. So you got intra within within the Trinity. You've got this perfect love going on. You've got God the Father loving the Son perfectly, and the Son loving the Father perfectly. You've got this wonderful Father-Son relationship relationship going on. And what God the Father then does is he he makes the world and he sends his Son to the world. But check this out. What he's doing is he's giving his son a wonderful gift. This is the kind of father he is. He's a giving father, right? Check it out. In John 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. Right, this is what Jesus says. He says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. This is Jesus chatting about people who believe in him. And he's saying they're people that the Father has given to him, which means God the Father actually gives a gift to his son Jesus. And he says, son, there's all these people I'm going to give you. They're going to come to you. They're going to put faith in you. This is my gift to you. So that's the kind of father he is. He's a giving father. He's a father who gives. Not just that, but he's a loving father. He's a loving father. John 5.20 says, For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. So it says there, the father, God the father, loves Jesus the son. He loves him. And how has this worked out? Well, he shows him everything he does. And you read the rest of what Jesus is saying there, and you look at the culture in those days, and you see what he's talking about. It's just like in those times, right, you would do the job that your dad did. Okay, and in those times, if your dad was a carpenter, you would grow up being shown by your dad 
how to plane wood and all that kind of stuff. And you can imagine that's a loving father-son relationship where the dad's saying, son, let me show you how to do this. And the son's doing that. And the son loves it because his dad's showing him what he does. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. He's that kind of dad. And then we also see that the father is not a selfish father. And he's not self-centered. Instead, he glorifies the son. Check it out. John 17 verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. When Jesus goes to the cross, the Father is glorifying the Son. And John 17 verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So we see that before the world began, the Father was glorifying the Son. The Son gave that up to come to the earth and save us. But we see that before the world was even created, the Father was glorifying the Son, bigging up the Son. Which means, God the Father is not self-centered. Now for a minute, that might sound like heresy. Yeah, so just think about that in the coming weeks and search through scripture to see if that's true. Father God is not self-centered. He's other-centered. Because before the world was created, he was glorifying the son. That's the kind of dad he is. Now, some of you might have had a dad that when you say, oh, I got in the football team, your dad says, oh, yeah, you know, I play for Arsenal. <laughs> some of you may have a dad, you say, I've got a boxing match coming up this Saturday. And he goes, yeah, I was Golden Gloves champion. And you might have your whole life felt like your dad never really wanted to glorify you, but he just wanted to glorify himself. And what you've got to know today is that God the Father ain't like that. Because we see that before the world was even created, he was glorifying his own son. If there was anyone else to listen, he'd be saying, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's the kind of dad he is. So now that we've seen what the father is like with Jesus the son, what we're going to do now is look at what the father is like with us. So my first point today about what the Father's like with us is that Father God seeks us out. Father God seeks us out. Some of you may be what people call an accident, where you were told that you was an accident. No one planned on you being born, but it just happened. Some of you may have felt like your dad never really wanted you around, but it just happened and... Some of you might not even know who your dad is. He could be one of many people. And that can affect the way you relate to God the Father. So what I'm telling you today is that God the Father sought you out. God the Father seeks people out to be his children. Check this out. Ezekiel 34 verse 11. In Ezekiel 34, verse 11, it says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. 
I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Now, we haven't got time to go into this, but this is a theme we see in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is gathering people together from where they've been scattered, and he's rescuing people. And some of you in your lives have had times where you thought, like, I need someone to rescue me. And some of you have looked to it in men, and some of you have looked to it in women, and ultimately... Father God is the one who will rescue you. He's the one. When I was a kid, I grew up in a single parent block of flats. Well, it wasn't a single parent block of flats. It might as well have been. (laughs) But it was a single parent family in a high-rise block of flats. And when I was four, I was scared. My mum was sick. And I was very scared in the flat on my own. And I needed someone to rescue me. And God the Father rescued me. And he did what none of the doctors or psychologists could do, or the social workers. Father God rescued me. And like a fool, when I was a teenager, I went my own way. And tried to rescue myself so hard. If you'd heard the things I'd say to people when I was a teenager, I was trying so hard to rescue myself trying to be free of the things that were messing me up. And I couldn't. And one day, in a real hour of need, I felt God say to me, I'm your father, and I want to be your father. And I broke down in tears, cried my eyes out, and I said, I'm sorry, God. I'm going to do things your way from now on. It's the father heart of God that brought me back to him. It was him rescuing me, even though I turned astray and gone my own way, like Isaiah 53 says. But God the Father is the one who came and rescued me like he rescues the sheep. Then he says in verse 13, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. Check this bit out. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Here we've got God the Father being protective about his children and saying that there's these other guys out there, the sleek and the strong, and they're treating my sheep the wrong way, and I'm going to destroy them. He's that kind of dad. You come home from school and you say what happened at school that was out of order. He's the kind of dad who says, I will sort it. He's that kind of dead. And then in verse 23, it says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. And we know this is fulfilled in Jesus. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. So he's the kind of father who says, I don't want to leave my children on their own. I'm going to send them Jesus and make him their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And we celebrated that covenant today when we had communion. 
This is the covenant that we're given through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross so that we can have peace with the Father, so that we know the Father ain't angry at us because check it out, all his anger for his people was poured out on Jesus Christ at the cross. That means you now have a covenant of peace with God if you're in Christ because all the anger has been spent. It's been used up on Jesus Christ. There's no more credit. If you want to talk about God's anger for you, He's out of credit. It's all been spent on Jesus Christ on the cross. So that thing you've done that you haven't told anyone in this room about, if you're in Jesus Christ, God poured his anger about that thing on Jesus at the cross. He's not angry with you today. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. He's the kind of father who wants us to be secure. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. Let me skip on to verse 30. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture are people, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. My point is that Father God seeks after us. He seeks after us. This is what he's about. Maybe your dad never sought after you. Maybe your dad was too busy. Maybe he was never around. But Father God seeks after us. He's never not mindful of us. He's actively seeking after us. You are not a mistake. And you are not ignored by God the Father. He's a Father who seeks us out. And he also accepts us and forgives us. This is my next point. Father God forgives and accepts us. He forgives and accepts us. Some people don't feel like they were ever really accepted by their dad. And when they did wrong, maybe they felt like their dad bore a grudge. Or maybe your dad, when you said sorry to him, he would just go, it's all right. I bet some of us in this room say it's all right when people say sorry to us. But, you know, we should never do that because sin is never all right. It is never all right. It is rebellion against God. What we should say to people is, I forgive you. But probably a lot of us haven't actually grown up hearing that a lot. We haven't said sorry and heard back, I forgive you. So then when we turn to Jesus Christ and we start understanding that God is our father, we can then start thinking that he doesn't really accept us and that when we say sorry to him about our sin, that Father God's kind of going, it's all right. Or maybe that God the Father's turning his face the other way. Or that maybe God's waiting for the end, yeah? The end, you get to heaven and there'll be a big plasma screen showing everyone your sin and it's like, yeah, I got you now. You enjoyed that grace back then, but now I'm showing you up to everyone. Now, that's what I was taught when I was a kid. And I was taught that, you know, all the secrets would be shouted from the rooftops. I was taught that that meant every little sin you've done, Duncan, 
when you get to heaven, there's angels on the rooftop shouting it out. I don't think that's true. I think if you look at what the Apostle Paul says throughout the New Testament, he talks about not being ashamed at the end. We're not going to be ashamed at the end. Remember, the Father has poured out all his anger on Jesus Christ. Yeah? If you're in Jesus Christ, then any anger towards you has been poured out on Christ at the cross. So there's no anger left for you at the end if you're in Christ. Check out Luke 15. God is a father who forgives and accepts us. You all know this story. Jesus tells this parable. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Now, this is not a council estate, okay? Right? Estate here, he's talking about all the property and wealth that the dad's got. He's talking about his inheritance he's going to get from that. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So this is a guy who's rejected his father, lived a high life, and then it hasn't worked out which we know is mostly true, right? Yeah, Jay-Z is literally one in a million, okay? It doesn't normally work out that way, right? And so for most of us, when we try living the high life, we end up being like this guy here, and we end up basically feeding pigs. That's the end result of it. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he's wanting to go back to his dad and repent. And he realizes he's not worthy to be treated as a son. He's not worthy. And some of you today might feel, I'm not worthy to be treated as a son or a daughter of God. And it says in verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The reason why the story is surprising is because we expect the father to have words with him. We expect the father in some way to say, well, you know you've done wrong, right? That's what we're expecting. And when he says, I'm not worthy, we're expecting that the father to say, yep, that's right. And when we don't see it in the story, we're thinking, deep down, we're thinking, yeah, but I bet the next day he let him have it. <laughs> but that's not true. That's not true, and that's a sign of how much we're conditioned to think about what a father is. 
what Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God the Father, who knows the Father intimately and has for all eternity with this perfect intra-Trinitarian love, Jesus says, let me tell you what the Father's like. If you come to him and say, I'm not worthy, I'm sorry, what the Father does is he celebrates. And the past is in the past. Because remember, yeah, Jesus took the sins of all his people on the cross. The Father's wrath was poured out on him at the cross for hours, hours of darkness. During that time, all the anger of the Father was poured out on Jesus. There's no anger left for you if you're in Christ. The only anger that's left is for people who are not in Christ. If you're in Christ today, if you've turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ, there's no anger from the Father. God is a Father who forgives and accepts us. So it's worth asking yourself, how have I been viewing the Father lately in my life? Maybe now you're trying to come up with New Year's resolutions about going to the gym and all that. Okay, let me tell you. March, you won't be in the gym anymore. No, you might be, you might be. But something I would encourage is if as we're going through this, you're thinking, you know what, I haven't really been viewing the Father this way, then I'd really encourage you to jot down some of these scriptures and to start meditating on them daily and finding out what a wonderful Father God is. I'll tell you something. I actually feel sorry, and this will sound really weird, I feel sorry for some of my friends who grew up their whole life having a loving, caring dad. I know that sounds really weird. I'll tell you why. Because the more I've meditated on the scriptures teaching me what God the Father's like, the more I see what a wonderful daddy is and how he's totally made up for what I lacked in my life, then I think, wow, do my friends have always had dads get this? Now let me add a corrective to that. They can get it. And you can get it. Even if you had the most loving dad... You can keep meditating on these scriptures. And in the end, you can say, you know, I had a wonderful dad. Praise God. But you know what? Now I can see how much even more of an amazing dad God the Father is. Okay. Here's a, couple, here's a psalm you might want to memorize. Psalm 27 verse 10. In the NIV it says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Net Bible translates it as, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord would take me in. Now this is especially if you've had problems in your relationships with your dad or your mum. If you were abandoned as a child. This is a great one to memorize and meditate on. When you're waiting for the bus, run it over in your mind a few times. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord would take me in. He's that kind of dad. He'd take you in. He doesn't say, go down and see the housing office at the council because you're out now. What he says is, I'm going to take you in. That's what he says. So we've seen so far that God the Father seeks us out. He's that kind of father. He seeks us out. And then we saw that God the Father accepts us and forgives us. And now we're going to see that he's also a father who sees us as very special. God the Father sees us as very special. You might not have felt that your dad thought you were special. Or maybe when you were young, he seemed to think you were special. And as the years went by, you stopped kind of feeling it. But God is a father who sees us as very special. Check it out. 
Exodus 19 verse 5. Exodus 19.5 says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. If we obey God fully and keep his covenant. Now what this means is submitting to what he says, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. Now check it out. It doesn't mean that you never ever sin in your life. Sometimes people have that problem when they see the word blameless in the Psalms and they think, who can ascend God's holy hill? You've got to be blameless. And they think that means absolutely perfect. But you read the whole of Psalms, which you've got to do sometime in your life, yeah? Amazing, especially if you're from a council estate, right? You've got to read the whole of Psalms, serious. And you read the whole of it, you see that in the broader context, blameless can't possibly mean that. What blameless means is more that you can't be accused by the people of God because you're living in the right covenant with God. And you sin, but when you sin, you go before God and you ask him for his forgiveness. That's what blameless is. The opposite is when you sin and say, well, I've messed up now. I might as well go the whole way. That's not blameless. If you go the whole way and then you say, I've got to turn back to God, that's blameless. So it's all about being in the covenant and accepting Jesus' forgiveness of sins and continually turning back to him. That's what being a Christian is. And if you do that, then he says, he says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. His treasured possession. That means we're very special to him. In fact, we're called the apple of his eye. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 9, Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, it says, For the Lord's portion is his people. That's interesting. That, that is his portion. So those parents of you at Christmas were trying to work out what to give your kids at Christmas, what their portion would be. Thinking, what would they really like? What would please them? What would be like their treasured possession? Well, God's portion is his people. He's that kind of dad. He's a family man. It says, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Got the idea of God getting his people and saying, I'm going to guard them and protect them because they are the apple of my eye. That is how protective he is as a dad. So again, these might be verses that you want to memorize, you want to meditate on them, you might want to write them on your wall, you might want to say it to yourself, I am God's treasured possession. You might want to say it to your friends, if they're Christians, say to them, you are God's treasured possession. You are the apple of God's eye. God is a father who sees us as special. So, so far we've seen Father God seeks us out, Father God accepts us and forgives us, and Father God sees us as very special. What we also see in scripture is that Father God adopts us. Father God adopts us. Ephesians 1 verse 5. This is what God did to us who are in Christ. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons, 
through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Check it out. He predestined us to be adopted, and it was in accordance with his pleasure. It actually pleased God to adopt you. Maybe you live your Christian life feeling like, you know, I'm the only person in this building that shouldn't really be here, but somehow God managed to adopt me and I got in. And What you need to understand is it pleased the Father to adopt you. If he had a face, then before the creation of the world, there would have been a smile on his face. And he would have been like, yeah, I'm going to adopt him. I'm going to adopt him. What we see throughout scripture as well is that we are ugly God-haters and sinners. But yet, it pleased him to adopt us. So don't get it twisted. It's not like he comes to an orphanage and he sees a cute kid and he says, yeah, I'll adopt that one. It would be like going to the orphanage and this kid swears at him, sticks two fingers up at him, says, I hate you. Sees his son, says, I hate your son as well. I'm going to murk your son. And God the Father smiles and says, I'll adopt him. It pleases me to adopt him. That's the kind of dad that he is. He chooses you and he brings you home. He's that kind of dad. In Romans 8, 15, Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul writes, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now that Aramaic phrase, that Abba there, the closest thing we can probably come up with is Daddy. Now in my estate, people don't call their dads Daddy. Yeah, it's, it's just not the done thing for a man to do. But this is the kind of Daddy that God the Father is. Where he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you can call me daddy. He wants to be called daddy. He loves being called daddy. I love it when I come home from work and open the door. And my daughter goes, daddy, and runs up to me. I love it. Makes me well haps. God the Father wants us to cry out to him, daddy. He's that kind of father. I don't know if any of you have seen the Railway Children, that film. You have to watch it. Some of you guys won't want to admit you watched it. So just watch it on the sly, right? You have to watch it for the final scene. I'm, I'm going to give it away, but I have to, so you watch it. At the end, she finally sees her dad again, and she runs up to him crying out, Daddy. And it's just a wonderful picture of what happens with us. We're so lost. Father God adopts us, and then we're supposed to run to him saying, Daddy. And not be afraid of him, because it says in verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. So he's contrasting it with being afraid. If you was afraid of your dad, you've got to understand that you're not supposed to be afraid of Father God. In the Bible, when it talks about fearing him, it's talking about revering him, giving him reverence, giving him honor and glory and respect. We don't have to be afraid of him thinking we're going to get a clap round the year any second. God does discipline us, but it's loving discipline. And if you want to know about that, go on our website, newlifelondon.com. It's part four. So, God adopts us. Now, another point. God the Father loves you so much. He loves you so much. How much? How do you know how much he loves you? 
Maybe you were singing some of the songs this morning and thinking, I don't really feel I love God this much, actually. I used to feel that way a lot. I used to feel that way a lot. And I think everyone's singing about how much they love God, but I'm not too sure if I love him that much. And sometimes I wouldn't sing certain songs because I was like, boy, I don't really love him that much. Now, I don't think I'm the only person in this room. Maybe I am. But I think it's something a lot of us have experienced. I'll tell you the remedy for that. The remedy is being cross-centered. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the way God showed his love for the world, that he sent his only son. And his son died. That's how much we know that God the Father loved us. Now, that's why a while ago I started making our first worship song always at church, being a song about the cross. Because I was thinking, maybe there's other people like me that when we start singing about how much we love God, I'm thinking, I don't really feel I love God. Now I start thinking about the cross and what Jesus has done for me. And then I'm like, wow, that's how much the Father loves me. And then if we sing a song about loving God, I'm like, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not manipulating the emotions. That's the way the Bible works. The cross is at the center of it all. And if you feel like God the Father don't love you, think about the cross. If you feel like you've been going through suffering and you've been thinking, how can I know that God the Father still loves me? Give me a sign. What you need to look at is the cross and see that God the Father watched his own son die for you. That's a sign of how much he loves you. He's that kind of father. Now this is something we've got to keep meditating about because the TV won't tell you this. Yeah? Not even if you've got that, that channel, you know? Yeah, that won't, that won't tell you, okay? The radio won't tell you. And a lot of your friends aren't going to tell you. And Satan definitely won't tell you. In fact... Everything's going to be bombarded at you telling you that dads are bad and that God is a bad dad. Look out for it in sitcoms, yeah? Look what's happened to the dads in the families, right? Aren't they stupid? Homer Simpson? This does affect our thinking. So what we need is renewing of the mind, constantly seeing what scripture says about the kind of dad that God is. And we see, wow, he loves me so much, he sent his son for me. One last point from part two. Just going to give you an overlap of what would be part two. I think it's so important. God is a father to the fatherless. He's a father to the fatherless. Psalm 68.5. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. This is the kind of dad he is. If you're fatherless, if you never knew your dad, or if your dad left you, or if your dad died, or if your dad was around but just seemed absent the whole time, then you need to know that God the Father totally compensates for that. And he says, I am a father to the fatherless. I will be your dad. Now, you could feel like Well, he's not flesh and blood. How can he really help me? He can't give me a hug like my dad. But God is the one who created you. Yeah? It says in the Bible that God is holding all your atoms together. Jesus Christ is holding you all together right now. He's actually holding this floor together right now, which is a good job. And so God knows us perfectly and intimately. 
So if he says he acts as a father to the fatherless, then I take his word for it. And I believe that over time, through sanctification in my life, through renewing of the mind as I keep meditating on his scriptures, I will learn more and more what a loving daddy has. And I won't be bitter about not having a dad. And instead I'll be like, you know what, I didn't miss out. I didn't miss out because I got God as my dad. And that's the best dad I could ever have. Now this is also important because there might be times where you feel like God's absent from your life. And especially if you had a dad who was absent, it could be quite easy to feel that God is absent. So it's important to meditate on his things so we realize God the Father is not an absent dad. He's here every second of the way. And he's even a defender of widows. So if you lost your husband, Father God is the kind of father who says, I am going to be a defender for you. I'm going to defend you. You think you can't be defended now, but I'm that kind of guy, and I'm going to defend you. God is a father to the fatherless. And to bring this point home, look at Proverbs 23, verse 10. Proverbs 23, verse 10 says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone. This would be like a fence. Do not move the fence or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. This is saying, look, if there's a house and there's a child there who don't have a dad, don't you dare mess with his fence. Don't you dare try and take any way, anything away from him. Don't try and rob his lunch money. Don't try and rob his phone, his iPod or whatever. Because Father God, their defender, is strong and he will take up their case. That's the kind of dad he is. He's the kind of dad who protects his children. I'd love to tell you more about Father God. All I say is if you want to hear more about this, it's on our website, newlifelondon.com. You can watch a video of it or an MP3. Meditate over this in the scriptures. Okay, last week you learned about more about Jesus. Today you're learning more about God the Father. This year you might want to ask yourself, when we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, am I fully getting the way these three relate to me? And if there's some way in which you're not really getting how God is a loving dad to you, then it might be something that's worth saying, you know what, I'm going to try and meditate on it this year. Just a suggestion. So let's sum this up. God is the father who seeks us out. He's that kind of dad. He's the father who forgives us and accepts us. He's that kind of dad. He's the father who sees us as very special. The apple of his eye. He's that kind of dad. He's the father who adopts us even though we hated him. He's that kind of dad. And he's the father who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. He's that kind of dad. Now, if you don't know him as a dad, the first question is, have I turned to Jesus? Because only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus the Son. We turn from our sin, we turn to Jesus. It's one movement we do. It's a movement we do knowing that we can't properly give up our sin. We're turning from our sin saying, Jesus, I can't give it up. I turn to you. Will you save me? You free me from sin. 
And if we do that, then we know we're one of Jesus' people. And we know that he had us in mind when he went to the cross. John 17, he actually prayed for us before he went to the cross. And he died on the cross and took our punishment. So that the Father would not be angry with us. So that we could have a loving relationship with the Father for all eternity. The greatest dad in the universe. Now, if you've done that and you still feel like you don't know God as a father, then I just encourage you to get these scriptures and meditate on them. There is also an evangelistic reason why we need to do this. That first verse I gave you, one of the first ones in John 17, uh, John 17, 21. I think I skipped this verse out. I did. At the beginning, when I was talking about the father's relationship with the son and this intra-Trinitarian love, I was going to say something quite deep. I'm disappointed I missed it out. What I was going to say is he actually brings us into this relationship. Now, again, that sounds like heresy, okay? So you need to think about this. Check this out. John 17, verse 21. This is Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. And he prays that all of them, that's all of his people, all us Christians, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us. You've got this wonderful relationship. The father loving the son, the son loving the father. This wonderful relationship. And Jesus prays that we will be in this relationship. Now, he's not praying that we will become part of the Trinity. Okay, I'm not saying that. Yeah, There's not nine members of the Trinity, 12 members of the Trinity. You know, it's just three, three persons, okay? One being, three persons. That's the Trinity, right? But this relationship that's going on between the Father and the Son, we are actually brought into that relationship in some way. We are adopted sons, not children by nature like Jesus is. Jesus is naturally God's son, but we are adopted sons. So we're brought into this, brought into this, and brought to this wonderful relationship with the Father and the Son. And the evangelistic point of it is, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So men, you've got a job on you now, which is to be so into God the Father and so into Jesus the Son, to relate to God as a dad, so that other men see you and say, wow, there's something in this God thing. That means you've got to drop the hardness that society puts on us. That means you've got to tell people, God, you know what? I see him like daddy. You know, I pray to him and say, daddy. You're not trying to make it all hard, like, yeah, man, I'm a militant Christian, yeah? G-O-D. Not like that. Okay, we've all been there. What I mean is actually telling people, you know what? I'm, I'm his son, and he's my dad, and I love him. That kind of thing. And that's evangelistic. And ladies, you have a job as well to relate to God the Father so well that people look at you and say, rah, how comes they don't go chasing after loads of other men and after chocolate all the time? Why is it... That they go to God and they call him their daddy. And that will be evangelistic. So I'll just leave you with those things there. He's a wonderful dad. I hope we all get to know him better so that we want to sit next to him each day. Let's pray. Father God, Daddy, I thank you so much for what a wonderful dad you are. I thank you for seeking me out and saving me. I thank you for sending your son to die for me. I thank you for everything that you've done for all of us in this room who believe in Jesus. You're such a wonderful dad. 
and we're so limited we don't get it. So I pray that you'd renew our minds, God. I pray that you would help us to understand better what a wonderful daddy you are. Help us to relate to you in such a way that it overflows in our relationships with other people on the street and at work and at school and college so that other people would be like, yeah, I want that dad as well. We praise you. Amen.